0: This is the Nomad Futurist Podcast, a podcast about the evolution of technology, society, and transformation. Connect with us, share your thoughts with us at nomadfuturist.com. Let's get this started. Here are Phil and Nabil. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Nomad Futurist Podcast. This is Nabil Mamoud, your host from Kona, Hawaii.
1: This is Philip Koblenz, your co-host, now from Montclair, New Jersey. And
2: this is Lee Kirby, the guest today from Orcas Island, Washington.
0: Lee, thank you very much for taking the time and joining us today. Great to have you. Thanks for having me. It's a great honor. So let's start with a little bit about you and your background. How far do you want to go back? Well, as far as you want to take us back, Lee.
2: (laughs) I grew up in a kind of idyllic situation in East Tennessee on a farm, very kind of hillbilly-ish, but it, it was very cut off from the rest of the world. And uh, we had a nice life. We grew up and didn't realize till I joined the military, how sheltered we had been and started learning about the world and about people. And I I think the military was the start of a journey for me that initially started out with wanting to get my college degree. So the benefits you get from military service, but became so much more after that. So 1976, I enlisted in the military. I did four years active duty, had a career after that that is not that unusual, but it, a lot of people don't realize that uh, what we call a citizen soldier goes back and forth between civilian and military. So I went into the reserves in 81, ended up getting my commission in 82, and uh, stayed in uh, the reserves so that I would be ready to serve if needed. In the mid nineties, when we invaded Haiti, I got called up to go there and there was a big humanitarian relief mission and everything else that went along with it. And my specialty had changed from infantry to civil affairs and it focuses on the civilian capacity. And then after that became a little bit more operational in the reserves, more, a higher up tempo and then 9-11 hit. And I got called back six more times to do service for the country there in Afghanistan and Iraq and bounced back and forth between civilian and military and found out a lot of the hardships that people go through going from active duty to civilian life and just trying to be a active reservist as well or guards person. So kind of a f- funny career, but it was fulfilling for me because I was in the data center business from the late nineties on and had always been in technology from the early eighties. And that gave me the grounding I needed to go back and
0: forth. Simon, thank you for the service. Uh, Absolutely. For everything that you've done for, for us in the country. So just for our listeners, you know, here, here is a quick background of Lee Kirby. Lee was uh, the chief executive officer at Denali Advanced Integration. He was the deputy chief of staff of the U.S. Army. He also served as the deputy chief of staff of the civilian capacity and multinational corps in Iraq. He was a colonel in the United States Army Reserves. Lee was the president of Uptime Institute for a period of about five and a half years. He currently serves on the advisory council and military community leadership at Infrastructure Masons, and he's also the chairman and co-founder of Salute Mission Critical. That's a lot, uh, Lee, that uh, you've been able to accomplish. Uh, tell us the, the relationship that you've been able to establish between your military career and data centers. How did that work out?
2: You bet. So when I first came off of active duty, it was 1981. I got a job as a trainee, a programmer in a bank, and I was learning to do assembler programming language on mainframes with punch cards and everything. Very dinosaur that no one listening to this podcast has seen except in museums but that got me started and I became a programmer and moved into COBOL and CICS and then a project manager in networks and then in the 90s got hooked up with a company called Exodus and they were doing a ton of data center work at the beginning and met a just a great group of people who are still in the industry just spread out everywhere but going back and forth and doing my time in the military and doing my time in civilian really helped me because the military puts so much money into your training. And if you stay that long in the military, whether you're an officer or an NCO, there's a ton of leadership courses you go through to help with your planning and your communicating and getting out in front of things and understanding how to focus on the mission and the outcomes that you need. And whether it's in a military environment or civilian environment, those skills are absolutely key. And I benefited from it because I was living in both worlds and getting all of the training dollars invested in it and was able to capitalize on it. And moved up through the ranks in the civilian world as well as military to get levels of responsibility where I could start giving back. And I've always believed that leaders are servant leaders and that if you set the right environment, you can bring people along and develop them. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And that capability to plan and communicate, I think, was what really helped me along.
1: I think I think the you know, it's it's amazing uh, to hear about like the, uh, the the discipline that's that's instilled, and you know just the way to think about problem solving that that you get in um, in in uh, a military experience that you know you really uh, don't have access to, uh, and, and typically in in a civilian um uh you know in, in a typical civilian um, uh, environment you know i've always looked at us in our industry as as problem solvers and if you think about you know the military and a lot of the the humanitarian um missions that that you've had experience to it really is all about problem solving and and how to look at a problem and and not be you know completely hamstrung or or frozen by just the the sheer vastness of it
2: I agree. I think that's one of the biggest assets from hiring veterans is their problem solving and their critical thinking because they they don't address symptoms. They look for the root cause and get down to the problem and very quickly, whether it's in a combat situation or a large complex situation in a peaceful timeframe, you can go through the analysis in the same way. You identify the problem, come up with alternatives, understand that those alternatives have cost to them, ups and downs, which one is the best, implement it, and then get that continuous feedback going to make sure that what you did solved the problem didn't cause any other consequences. But I think that's a great uh, part of hiring veterans that you get that and wish that we've taught that in all of our schools. I would think seniors in high school or tech schools or colleges need to start teaching problem solving and critical thinking.
1: No question. And it, I mean, and and that's the thing. The thing is it, it, it spans every vertical. There's not, you know, it's, it's a, it's learning how, how to think and, and act Um, versus learning a particular, you know, skill or or memorizing, you know, a a particular set of facts, uh, which transcends, you know, um, problems that you have across your entire life, not just professionally, but, but personally as well. Absolutely. Um, I had one thing. Uh, just going back, so you know, obviously, you know, you grew up in 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 you know, kind of remote uh, uh, Tennessee um, in, environment. Um, how does one make the transition, and uh, uh, even through the military service, to uh, to from that upbringing to you know the more technical like programming? Like, how, how did you discover that you had some interest or or in in, in technology? <laughs>
2: And I think that's the key question when you're looking at veterans coming out is who has the aptitude and who has the desire to be in our industry? We do a lot of recruiting in the military ranks and it's really the people that have that affinity to what we do that you get the most out of because you wanna do what you like. When I was in the military, I got a chance to be exposed to technology. And after you go through the first 12 weeks of individual training and they teach you how to be part of the force and to be part of the thinking and start learning and adapting quickly, you look to master your skills. And the technology I was being able to touch fascinated me and I wanted to learn more. So I had a thirst for learning about technology, wanted to do programming. And that's when I got out, I was able to find an initial entry position as a programmer trainee and started my career that way. And I think that's what a lot of folks are looking for is just a chance to get a start. And if they have that desire and they like what they're doing, they're going to excel because they've got all of the skills that they got from problem solving and critical thinking, and they'll move up through the ranks very quickly. And it's just a natural consequence. It's not a political motivation. It's just uh, that hunger and that thirst for more knowledge.
0: So in a way, you were kind of put into a position whereby you were exposed to the technical elements that you're involved in now.
2: Yes, got the exposure to technology. I got out of the beautiful hills of Tennessee and found out that there was more than just running the cattle and raising the crops. And although that was good and fun, there was something else out there and I I loved it. So I followed the technology path rather than going back home.
0: So in your current endeavors, do you feel that are we giving a similar level experience to the generation that's currently serving? in in military capacity and or that's coming out into the civilian world, that they've got the same or similar options that you had when you were growing up?
2: I think Like any big problem, there's no good black and white answer, but there's a lot of companies out there that are doing great jobs. You look at some of the programs in the hyperscalers and how they're attracting veterans to their programs and training them. They've made a choice, a conscious choice that they need either cyber technologists or they need software developers. And they'll put those boot camps together and they'll bring veterans in that have passed their screening and give them a chance to go through that training and get into their ranks at Salute. What we wanted to do was not just go for part of the population, because every year there's 200,000 plus veterans transitioning out of active duty. There's also 800,000 plus reserve and guards people. What we wanted to do was open it up to all of them, not just the technically experienced ones that could prove a track record, but to infantry, to truck drivers, to cooks, and show that they could learn quickly to do what they do because the one thing that we as a society have been doing is we got real smart. We love tables and we have these, they're called MOS translators or in the air force it's AFSC or the Navy calls them specialties, but they'll plug that little number in and they'll push you down a path as to what you did. But if you plug in the infantry MOS, 11 Bravo, you'll send that person down a security path. they will be a security guard. But if you look at what they did in support of that in the military, it's not all everyday engaging with the enemy and shooting them. To be able to engage with the enemy and shoot them, you've got to maintain your equipment, your communication system, your weapon system, and you're doing it with procedures and you're following those procedures. And as you start looking at that, that's a data center technician. So our theory was we could teach anybody that has gone through that kind of training and adaptability to be a data center technician as long as they want to be. And we've proven that we're now Eight years down the road, we've put about 2,000, more than 2,000 through the system. We've got 400 full-time staff, and they're all infantry and cooks and truck drivers and mechanics and helicopter repairmen and things like that.
0: How, How do those people deal with being on the civilian end now versus a very disciplined, structured lifestyle?
2: Like anything, it was a transition to go into the military. It's a transition to leave the military, too. And sometimes you hold on to the past and you need to let it go and leverage the positives of it. You don't always have to. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. That just doesn't fit in civilian society. But once you make that break and you start understanding culturally how to adapt, but then leveraging what you learned in the military with the problem solving and the leadership skills and the critical thinking, getting out in front of things and understanding that any decision has consequences. If you do this, what does it mean? And going through that consequence management chain of thought as well. I think those are the skills that you want to keep a hold of and you can drop some of the formality, but it does take some time. depending on where you're at, the military does a great job of indoctrinating and changing you just in those first 12 weeks. They're trying to do a better job of the transition out. It's tough because you get a government agency trying to train you how to be a civilian. That doesn't quite work. So I think we need to step up as a society and accept that there's going to be some training and transition we as companies need to do. And it's going to be worth it because you can see the ROI when you bring them in. Veterans are by by far more loyal as far as you know, tenure of employees go, and if you transition and train them and get them uh, hooked into your mission, I find that veterans love having a mission bigger than themselves because that's what they did in the military. And let them understand the why. Once they know
0: the why, you got them. Outstanding. So before we, you know, move forward in the conversation, one of the things that I want to know from you, Lee, and I've known you for only a few years, maybe ten or more. Uh, <laughs> I want you to tell tell us the story behind you starting Salute, Mission Critical. You bet. It was 2012 and I was
2: retiring. Uh, You come to a point, you've done 36 years, you're a colonel and it's time to go. So I I was fading off into the sunset, but I I loved the service. I loved the people I was working with and I wanted to continue serving and working with a friend of mine in the industry, Jason O'Croy, we came up with the idea that we've got the relationships, we've got the know-how, we could put the training protocols together and we could build a company that hires veterans, trains them, gets them the experience. Some of them will, just like the military, some will stay with us and become part of our leadership team. Others will move on into our clients. And it's worked out. The funny thing was when we started it, there was an unemployment problem. We'd had a surge. There'd been a lot of forces sent to Iraq. We had a lot of young people coming off of active duty, like a quarter million a year. We'd also had a recession in 08, 09, I believe it was, and the unemployment rates were high. But even though they were high for veterans that were prior enlisted and had done their tour, they were over 20% unemployed and considered unskilled. So we wanted to change that notion that they're not unskilled. They're just not appropriately skilled for what they need. If you'll accept responsibility responsibility for training them and we could prove to people that we could do this with any skill set in the military that others would jump on the bandwagon and there are some that uh, many companies that want to hire veterans but they look for those that can walk across the navy nukes and the communications technicians and stuff like that but there's so much more than that that's just a small piece of the pie so we wanted to open up the whole pie to the industry
0: well, that's a great initiative. And thank you very much for engaging and you know, starting that. Kind of fits in with the same philosophy that Phil and I have with Nomad Futurist, that we want to educate the younger generation and steer them in the direction whereby we can pass the baton on to them as as we sail away, like you said.
2: And one other part of that that we found out is we got these this training program together that could take anyone from the military and put them into it. We started testing it out with the concept that, think about the other half of the equation with a veteran, there's the military spouse who moved every time that they needed to, to support their spouse, who did the planning it took when their spouse deployed. If you want good planners and project managers, I think military spouses have all of the key ingredients for multitasking, taking on all the responsibility of the household, planning all of that as well as having a contingency plan if their spouse did not return. And going through that in a way that keeps their emotions in check, but still able to meet the demands of what their position requires, that's a great project manager and we've proven that. And I think that's why we got recognized recently for our military spouse program, but they're a missed asset. They're a gem that people overlook all the time. And I think that if we're gonna look at a whole generation or a whole new resource pool, veterans, military spouses, and even other industries. Our industry needs to know we compete for those and get the training programs in place to be able to take advantage of the other skills they have.
1: It's, I mean, it's a totally brilliant um, concept, right? It's a, it, the idea of um, you know, putting value on uh, the, the, the day-to-day experiences, uh, as opposed to just, you know, what would go into building a typical resume. I mean, wow. if you think about um, the experience of a mil- uh, of, of someone in the military or a military mm-hmm. spouse, if they had to translate that into a resume, like what they have to put up with on a day-to-day basis, it'd probably be like a 15-page document yeah. where they would have every skill set that you could possibly want in another person. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was just, just brilliant, uh, uh, the notion of, um, taking that and, and applying it towards an industry like ours that is so, um, uh, so perfectly suited for that type of meticulous, disciplined approach where it's really procedurally based um, where it's not necessarily, you know, the skill sets are ever evolving because the systems are are ever evolving. So, you know, it's difficult to find someone that has, you know, a, a specific skill set that makes sense in uh, with with um, the, the current makeup of a data center um, on a day to day basis because those those that, that underlying infrastructure is ever evolving. So, someone that has the ability to to pivot, like you said, and adapt. Um, and and follow procedures is just perfectly suited for for our industry. Uh, I think the only reason I didn't think of it is because I was never in the military. So. <laughs>
2: Well, it's better, better to be lucky than smart sometimes. You know, when I got out in 81, I got into a training slot and it dawned on me in 2012 that I had benefited from the same thing I'm trying to do here, that it's not a new idea. It's just not a generally adopted idea. But we do, I think companies need to understand it from an ROI point of view. They're tapping into a resource pool that's got thousands of dollars already invested into it. Why not? Totally.
0: Yeah, totally makes sense. All right, so let's uh, switch gears just a little. Let's talk about you. So you uh, start with COBOL as a language which kind of like sailed away into the sunset.
1: How <laughs> the have you- kept- New Jersey, With the exception of the New Jersey unemployment office who's still looking for COBOL programmers. That's
0: funny. <laughs> so how do you keep up with technology? It's a
2: you gotta have that thirst to continuously learn. And I think that's another skill of veterans is adaptability, always learning and always having to stay ahead of things. So as you're learning COBOL, you start wondering what's the next thing. At that time, the next thing was this cool thing we called KICS, C-I-C-S, and make it be on a screen instead of on punch cards. And so you start learning KICS on the side and d- decide how you can make the move to become a KICS programmer. And after that, it was the advent of PCs and networks. And I got into distributed computing and got a chance to work on project teams and used my project management capabilities that I actually leveraged from my military planning skills and moved through the project management ranks. But I think that young people coming into this industry that have a thirst to learn and love technology will continue to find that in any of the companies that they're in. Even if you're working in what can be considered labor-intensive work, like Salute is a lot of hands-on work at the site. Everything you're touching is new every day because you're working with some very complex equipment. And that's what people love. If you listen to the stories of some of the folks in our ranks, what they love about this industry is they have to stay on their toes. They have to always learn. And if you love learning, This is a great industry for
0: it. Yeah, it's a lot of mental stimulation on a day-in and day-out basis.
2: Yeah.
0: Having said that, people that are engaging, people that you're bringing from the military service into the civilian world, into data centers, there is that gap that we currently have in the space, that they, they were doing a certain job before, whereas now they're into technology or system integration, whatever the case might be. How are you bridging that gap of education or that tenure that they don't currently don't have? About 10 years ago, there was the belief in our
2: industry that everybody at a data center needed to have an engineering degree or at least a bachelor's degree with appropriate experience. That's not right. We've seen that change now. You know, high school education with experience and the right training is more than sufficient for the on-site services. If you're going to get into designing and complex troubleshooting, absolutely, you need engineering education. And what we do, we've had several folks that have come to us, worked with us, gotten the hands-on experience, gotten the thirst Gone to school on the side, like I got my MBA, but it was all on the side. And that's the way people do it, is they have the thirst to learn and they get their degree and then they take a position that's more of an engineering position and either move up within salute or move to one of our client positions. So there's got to be that balance of professional development and training. And you have to take that responsibility. And I think that's what people with that drive and that leadership characteristics will do is take the responsibility to train themselves on what they want to be doing in five years or years and do it now
1: you know i guess if if we pivoted a little bit uh to where we are today um you know we have uh this this you know, insane, like a historical pandemic going on um, where uh, particularly as it relates to um, in-person work and in and data centers and, and things like that, that have been disrupted along with every other, you know, industry and supply chain uh, going down. How has that impacted what you guys do?
2: Great question. Uh, a lot of people look at the pandemic as uh, changing everything we're doing. And I think they're right. And it's gonna change it to the good. It's reduced the number of people that people want at the data center site. A lot of our teams and our model that was really taken off before the pandemic is even more so now. And we staff data centers with less people because we train them on all of the functions. Typically, you'll have at least three vendors on site. If you've got people on site, there's the security, there's the mechanical and electrical, and there's the IT. And we train our teams to be multi-skilled operators. And as they need more engineering depth, they go up and escalate to an engineer to help. But at the site level, you can have less people if you break down those silos and manage with the multi-skilled operators because security is not a full-time function. If it is, then it's a humongous data center and you've got a lot of traffic and then you have to staff it that way. But more often than not, These can be shared functions and be done by one person instead of three. And we've seen that model take off. As far as deploying technology, we did see some of our clients slow down on their projects, but others put the foot on the gas. Uh, We've got one project we're halfway through where we're traveling to over 120 countries and upgrading the capacity because of the demand that's been going on because of the workforce has changed. It's working from home and the demand on the networks and the environment. So there's been a lot to keep up with capacity and being able to deploy the technology The thing that we were fortunate about is our workforce is used to, uh, we call it mop gear in the military, but we're used to putting on suits to work in environments that are hazardous, and we're used to that changing uh, every minute, every, every day. And in the COVID environment, these protocols change either at the city, state, or country level rapidly. So we have a team that works on coordinating all of this and communicating it out to the teams, very much like a military operation as to what posture they need to be in. What kind of cleaning do they need to be doing before they get to the site and after they leave the site and all the protective equipment that they need to carry and wear with them that works for us and we're considered an essential service. So we're able to get across borders and for, by and large, we can get through most borders just with a whole bunch of coordination with the government, but that's another skill that we bring from the military. And so the environment's been hectic and crazy, but it's shown adaptability is key to learn the new situation, overcome it, make the mission requirements happen and get the job done.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I, I could not think of a a, a workforce that's more suited to uh, to to this kind of ever changing environment. And one of the things that I'm thinking with uh, what you guys are doing is that you know those companies that would uh, maybe have wanted to hire people in house to staff uh, their projects might not want to take on the risk and 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 you know the potential you know issues associated with trying to deploy in in-ho- an in house workforce. In the existing environment, so why not turn to uh, to to uh, someone like you uh, who can who can deploy that talent and resource and make it you know kind of an all-in solution where they don't have to worry about you know how to uh, how to handle the the ever-changing um, you know restrictions and requirements?
2: I think uh, it, of course it benefits us, but uh, in a good way because we are used to working in high risk environments and we just adapt to that. so it, it's a win for everybody.
1: Uh, have you run into any issues uh, from a supply chain standpoint when, when this whole thing started in terms of like, finding PPE for your staff or, or any of those types of things that, that you've, you've heard about in, uh, in even state and local governments?
2: There's been some creative sourcing we've had to do in some countries to get all the PPE we needed at times, but that's pretty much worked itself out. But we're starting to see in the supply chain in general and manufacturing of parts and different things that there is a longer period of time because plants are being staffed differently than they used to. And I haven't seen the big impact yet, but I just feel like after this next wave, we're gonna see some bigger impacts as to the supply chain coming in with the bigger equipment. I just haven't seen it yet.
0: So Lee, what do you think uh, are the the biggest challenges that our industry should prep for for the next three to five years?
2: I think companies in general, probably the top companies have good workforce development programs in place, but that's really what Salute is as a workforce development strategy put into action. I think that mid-tier size company needs to realize it's a competitive advantage to set up programs that will take you from the moment you hire somebody to the moment they leave you and develop them throughout the process. First to get them where they can do the job and then get them where they continually move up because technology is going to continue to change rapidly. And if you don't have a good training program in place, you're going to miss that opportunity to keep your staff up to date. And I think if people would step back and look at it and take the lessons learned from Salute is take a conscious effort, work backwards from what you need at the end, and develop those programs and systems to be able to feed that and think mm-hmm. of the people as almost a, a supply chain that you need to keep coming through your process. I think that would help our industry out. We've got some major players out there that seem to have revolving doors between their HR departments, and they just steal from each other every year or two. And it's the same people, just different company name. And it would be nice to get a little bit of stability and to
0: be thinking of this as in terms of a workforce development strategy. But hasn't that been an American culture for the last two decades now? I mean, that's become more <laughs> of a norm, right? I mean, if you're at job for more than 365 days, you are a legend. Yeah. <laughs> Start how, re- how do we, uh, how how do we retirement? change that? How do we change that whereby the employer and the employee actually have a work, healthy working relationship?
2: There's a lot of changes way outside of what we could do, but I think it's cultural. I, I think that they need to think from the point of view of establishing a culture where people want to be part of it, where they feel like it's an inclusive culture that as long as you perform and as long as you give, you're going to receive as well. And that that transparency all the way up through the chain of command, that people are communicating openly and they're working with the people whether it's the lowest rung or the highest rung, that they're treating people with respect. And they everybody knows what the mission is. Everybody knows what their part is. Because at Salute, whether you're the CEO or you're the guy that's just now putting in air filters in the data center, you know what your job is and what you need to do. And I think that inclusive culture will do that. And a lot of more people need to adopt that and drive that change from a cultural point of view. because. Culture drives everything, and you'll see that when you see your workforce just self-managing and making the mission perpetuate without you having to be there and force it.
0: I've, I've got to tell you this. So you, you are our first guest that's got a military background. There's so much structure to your conversation and the, and, and the way you have described and you look at things. That's It's, it's amazing. A young man or somebody that's entering into the space, what would your recommendation be uh, as to how to develop that skill set? I think if
2: they're coming from the military or even if they're not, if they can have that thirst and they can look at it from a mission point of view is our, our, Our whole industry is based on innovation and change and it's growing and it's changing rapidly. And both of those factors make this such an exciting place. It is not a place for people who don't want to learn. If you like learning, if you like staying in touch with technology and the greatest thing and how we did it five years ago, doesn't matter. It's how are we going to be doing it in a a year from now and get in front of that. This is a great industry for anybody and whoever comes in it needs to have a continuous thirst. If they're not always, Always reading, reading and learning from other people in the space and other leaders and how to think and how to get down to the problem, how to focus on the mission and the planning factors of it. Always be developing yourself. It's good when companies develop you, but I never accepted that someone was going to develop me. I was always getting school on the side. I was always reading. Uh, People I know that are successful are reading one to two books a week or at least one to two books a month because they don't want to stagnate. They want to continuously learn. And I think that's what's so key for young people coming in the industry. This isn't a place for someone to just sit around. This is a place for someone to
1: grow and develop. I think, you know, when we, when we have these, when we have, when we've had these conversations in the past, we typically ask for, you know, what, what is the characteristic that you would say that, you know, a a younger person needs to have um, in order to, to be successful either in, you know, the data center industry or, or any type of, you know, technology operation. And, and what, what typically comes out is, you know, some level of confidence, not, not only confidence in their abilities, but, you know, enough confidence to be able to ask the right questions and, you know be able to articulate what what you don't know um, but you know as I listen to to you and again with that constant reinforcing of understanding that we're talking about this from from the military background and you know one of the unique things that i, I like i wrote down a word um, that that came to mind and it's clarity this is, this is there's a clarity of purpose there's a clarity of communication there's a clarity of mission that is unique to the way you describe you know not only what you do but the way all of your employees and all all of your staff members understand, um, you know, what they're doing and 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 have that kind of shared purpose that I think is incredibly refreshing, that I don't think um, a lot of, you know, the younger generation that might not have military experience, that might not that have that type of background or, you know, will ever have that type of background, I think that's something that they really need to understand. Of course, learning uh, critical thinking and an approach to problem solving, but just, That that moral clarity, that clarity of purpose is so uh, important and so refreshing, and it makes you answer questions in a way that is just authentic and believable, whereas, you know, a lot of the people will bring in, I don't want to name any names, but you get the sense that they're like playing this role. Of you know how they think they're supposed to be because they are the CEO or this co-founder or the COO and you know they they want to make sure that it's clear that you know the thing that they that, that they came up with is you know such a unique spin on it but there's just not that authentic clarity um, that that I think is has been instilled uh, in you from that kind of military background.
0: Well, I appreciate it. That's a great compliment. I I don't know how to follow that up. So Lee, what advice would you give someone wanting to enter into a space? And also, I mean, the question that I want to lead into is like, based on what you know today, and if you, if you were to go back in time, what would you do differently? There's, there's some funny points where I've learned and I've adapted.
2: I, I was working in the late 90s, and we had a, a process we thought could help with the Y2K. And if, if people weren't around then, we thought our computers were all going to fail. And we had a process, and we actually developed a tool that could crawl through and fix a lot of the problems in the software that we were dealing with, but we didn't understand that you got to fund the marketing piece. You got to get this out to market. We thought this is a great idea. It'll just take off. So the marketing was never funded and never put tens of thousands of hours of work into changing Cobalt programs so that they would know that a one in the year was two thousand one or a zero, and it was just a silly process. But I learned that it's not about the technical solution. If you can't get it out, you get a good technical solution is great, but you got to have the entire plan together, the marketing aspects of this, and get it to market for it to be taken advantage of. That was one of my biggest embarrassments.
1: <laughs> embarrassments got that Y two K was uh, uh, was 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 a thing, sure. Are there any other lessons that you feel like you learned if you had to reach out to the, to the younger uh, Lee Kirby and say, don't beat yourself up over this or, or take this path or, or, you know, travel, travel, travel the, uh, the path that might not be the most obvious. Are there any areas where you would go back and tell your younger self uh, to do something differently or to think about something differently where you made a decision maybe out of fear um, or didn't take a plunge quick enough or, or, or or any of that
2: i think that you're never going to get time back with the family you got to balance it and you have to put the work in and you have to do things but i'm so lucky to have kids that still love me and talk to me but i missed a lot of birthdays and ball games by being deployed because in the military if you're deployed for a year you're spending a lot of time before that year getting trained to be de- uh, deployed uh-huh. so I, with as many uh, active duty recalls as i had there was a lot of time missed. I should have put more time in between deployments to see the ball games and to make things. Fortunately, I did enough to keep on the good side. So as a young person, though, I would have changed my priorities a little bit to try to get more balance. I think I didn't have good balance there for a while, but better to be lucky than smart. I got through it and survived that people should learn a foreign language. No matter what language you speak, learn at least another one. I'm trying to learn Spanish right now, but I would have loved to start it out as a young man and learned other languages. And it, it's a lot easier when you're young and get exposed to it and learn the culture and get to know people and be able to communicate with them when you're not at your home base. I think it opens your eyes up to a lot of things, no matter what the language is.
1: like On, on the notion of finding that that balance, I know Nabil and I have uh, have constantly talked about like a word. Work-life balance or life-work balance with everybody, you know, working at home for for the last couple of uh, for the last few months, and and likely now, you know, with with new lockdowns being instituted across the country, you know, it's it's you know, people that have gone back to the office might might end up you know going back to working from home, and it's kind of difficult to to separate from work and and pay enough attention to your family given the fact that you have all of the uh you know all of these you know uh, formerly military folks um in 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 your organization do you guys have any type of emphasis on you know uh mental health or finding that work-life balance and and trying to instill in them the idea of, of prioritizing does that does that come up
2: it comes up quite a bit in our discussions, both from the mentor and the mentee, but also in our communication through the company. We talked to them, and when we first came out with the announcement on COVID and what we were going to be doing with our health and safety team and the protocols we would be pushing out, the other part of that message was, don't think of this as just at work. Take this home. Protect your family. Think of your family in this regard. So if you're going into a data center, follow every procedure and follow it when you get back to the house and have your family follow it, too. We've been exposed to a lot of the virus, but we've kept it mitigated because people have worn their masks, washed their hands, and done the simple little things that needed at the blocking and tackling level. And they've done it out of respect for doing their job. But I think most of them have done it because they want to make sure they're taking care of their families. They don't want to go back and infect them. So that's a big part of our life is making sure that we do have the life balance. And it's Salute, in the training, we know that we're going to stay there and get the job done and the mission will be complete, but then we're going to have time with the family too, and you just balance it between that.
0: So, with the current situation, do you think uh, we're going to have some sort of a normal on a go forward basis, whether it be working remotely, working from anywhere? Are we going back to the office space? The crystal ball has
2: never been that uh, clear for me. But if I was to lay a bet, I would think that it's going to be somewhere in between. Those who can work remotely, I think going forward, are going to find far greater productivity. But there's points in your life when my children were little, it was a hard place to focus sometimes with three screaming kids. (laughs) So there may be you need to find a garage or something, but there's going to be a, a different balance between where we work. And you're seeing a lot of the major tech companies coming out saying for the foreseeable future, we'll be working from home. And that's going to change the landscape too of where people live. And it might be interesting to what happens in the urban and suburban environments and even the remote areas. But if we can bridge that last mile and give everybody the connectivity they need, it'd be interesting to see what kind of get your commute back. Instead of an hour's commute into work, you can spend that with the family. That's a great win from a bad situation.
1: Your little, well, island, your little island in northern Washington is going to start getting pretty, pretty busy. It is. This Orcas Island is the best place to be
2: during something like this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you hear that, everyone? Move to Orcas Island.
0: Exactly. <laughs> Considering it's the largest exodus in the history of America, people from New York <laughs> or San Francisco are moving away. Oh, okay. um, so... We briefly touched on this. Um, I mean, even working from home, there's gotta be that uh, sense of balance. The challenge is that if you look around what's happening in the market space on a global basis, um, lifestyles have changed. Uh, this, this, this era is the, the highest un- unemployment era and people are afraid of losing their jobs, particularly when there's no social interaction. And you can be terminated like the movie up in the air. And this time, actually, it's going to be virtual. So they're working. They're working potentially harder. They're spending more time in front of their devices versus having that quality time. What would you suggest in a case like this for, for the younger generation or people, the life and work balance?
2: It's hard if you are uh, kind of quarantined the way many people are, but I think the tools that we have in place help you bridge to a certain point, but there is that intimate contact when you are with a person and can talk without the screen that really builds a lot. I'm not sure how well we would have done at Salute if we hadn't already established a culture and everybody knew each other and we had the tempo down and we had the trust in each other because a lot of teamwork is building that trust and people you've worked closely with and it's tough in this kind of environment. And I think we're gonna learn to adapt and overcome that. We've had one deployment where we were bringing a data center online but couldn't get into the country. So we did all of the training that we typically do in person Uh, virtually. uh, The teams that usually deploy as Tiger teams to get them spun up had to do it all virtually, and they were able to overcome it and do it longer term. They'll want to meet the staff and they'll want to have time with them to build that relationship. And it'll be interesting to see if we can bridge that gap of building a relationship like we're having right now where we're looking at each other on the screen and can that be done effectively? I don't, I'm not saying it can't, it's just going to be hard because we are humans. I think that we crave that interaction and if we can have that interaction and build the relationship, but do it on a less frequent basis, that may
0: be the answer. Yeah, maybe it's time for a hologram or virtual reality of some sort to <laughs> <pick up. laughs>
1: Um, yeah, and I look, and I have the same feel. I have two small children, right? I have a, a, a soon-to-be next Wednesday four-year-old, and uh, and and on the other side of that, an eight-year-old, um, uh, or soon-to-be eight-year-old. And you know, I see at least the eight-year-old now. That's you know, uh, in virtual school and and all this stuff. It's just you know, they're incredibly adaptable. It's not like they're troubled by it. And you know, I have amazing kids that you know are not necessarily struggling with. Uh, thankfully, they have each other, so you know they haven't, you know, apparently had any issues. But um, I, I, I struggle sometimes with trying to understand what impact this new reality with the way um, we're going to interact and having to be, you know, almost hyper aware. Of, uh, of our surroundings with with masks and and with washing of hands and social distancing. And, you know, when I tell my four-year-old in, you know, 10 or 15 years that when you met someone, you used to shake their hand, she's going to look at me like I have three heads. Like, are you nuts? You actually touched the other person. You can't do that. And I feel like something is, you know, that's going to stay with us through, um, you know, vaccine or, or whatever. It just seems like, that, the, you know, it, there's, there's this new reality where it's just, we're just not going to be we're not going to be able to be that the the same social beings that we were before. Um, and for us that have had the experience of before, you know, it is, it is what it is. This is just a new reality and we've built those relationships and we can kind of, you know, reminisce about old times where we used to, you know, high five each other. Yeah. But um, for for the kids that you know had you know a limited window of time where they got to experience like pre-COVID life, I wonder what the long-term impacts are going to be.
2: Yeah, it's going to be a different way of communicating. Uh, You you go through the whole public school system and you get that emotional intelligence from dealing with people and compromising. And that's going to have to be a virtual thing now. They're going to have to learn how to bring teams together and get a goal and get a plan and communicate and all like this. And that's fascinating to me. I know that we can overcome it because that's what we do. But I miss that interaction. And I'm an introvert. I I don't get out that much. But when I do get out, it's
0: worth it. Technology segment really is an introvert. I think there's only a few of us that are, are extroverts. Switching gears just uh, just a hair. Uh, one of the questions that I love asking all of uh, our guests is that many science fiction movies present a dark vision of the future. Are you optimistic or pessimistic, considering where op- we're at today about the future of humanity?
2: I'm optimistic, and it may make me seem kind of foolish, but I can't see it getting any worse. <laughs> so it's. Got to be
1: going up from Ah. here. (laughs) (laughs) We've reached the bottom. We've hit bottom. I mean, how can you not be optimistic if you've hit bottom? Exactly. I think we as a
2: country, we as a world, we got all kinds of things that we know are wrong that we can deal with. And if we can do that and survive through this thing and start coming together and understand we're all different and there's going to be things that go on. But there's so many divides right now in our country, and the world that I think could be overcome. And technology, I think, is going to be a part of that. If we could have everybody being able to communicate more effectively through technology, that could overcome a lot of barriers that we have. But I think that we're going to come out of this like... It's the human spirit and the resiliency that I think always prevails. I just don't know what it looks like exactly, but I've got confidence that as a race that we can overcome this. We may never be perfect, we never will be perfect, but it'll be better than it is now. Our sector is growing like crazy. I would hate to be in the retail sector or the travel industry or hospitality, but that's going to be a resource pool that others should think, can I train them? Can I get them into the data centers and get them jobs? There's a lot of people needing jobs and where my goal was veterans, because that's what I know and understand. There's got to be other industries that could
0: contribute to this industry now that theirs is blown up. I mean, the only sane thing right now in our lives is connectivity and being able to do this through this medium. I mean, I mean, we are missing a hologram, but other than that, we're virtually right yeah, next we to each other. You just yourself.
1: love those damn holograms. <laughs> you
0: really want a hologram. All right. Fine. I just, just imagine if it was okay. like 19. Anybody that's looking,
1: if, if anybody's looking uh, uh, for something to get Nabil for Christmas, uh, on oh. Nabil's Christmas, is hologram. Just get him a hologram.
0: <laughs> I mean, just imagine if it was 1980 or 1990 and we went through a situation like this what would happen it would be a catastrophe
1: you don't even have to go back that far i mean if you went back to 2005 if you went back to 2010 i mean in the in the era before i mean even now i I remember when my son was born my son was born in 2012 uh, and my mom couldn't travel for whatever reason uh you know she was sick and we we connected through i don't think we even have facetime we connected through Skype. Um, which she used to, I remember she used to call it spike because um, she just couldn't get the the, the, the letter straight but okay. um, that was that was like in 2012. That was like the only way that we can establish like a video chat thing, where now you just press a button on the phone and you're video chatting with anybody that uh, that you know has has an iPhone. So you know, yes, in 1980 this would have been a disaster. In 2000 this would have been a disaster. In 2005 this would have been a disaster. Likely in 2010 we weren't like particularly well suited for this. So the pandemic seems to have come at the time where the technology has evolved to to give us the tools to. Be be able to you know maintain some level of productivity and certainly give you know Lee plenty of reasons to uh, to staff data centers and with uh, with 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 every veteran uh, from from here to Kalamazoo, but my gosh, it's uh, you know we got hit with this at the right moment. That sounds a little weird, but get the point.
0: This is not going to be over in the next thirty days, ninety days, a year, two, three. It's 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 going to last for for a few years thereafter, whereby people are going to be working from home, working from anywhere. The, the the gig economy is going to work, become like the work from home economy. Are we prepping ourselves for tomorrow from what you're seeing in the industry, Lee? <laughs>
2: I I think we are with a qualified, we are, people are making the investment in infrastructure because we're helping to go install it. So I see that part of it. One thing that is going to become more and more apparent, though, is the solutions we're putting in place require network connectivity, but it's, I think, exacerbating the problem for the lower income, the lower classes of society don't have the same access. And there's this, we called it a digital divide recently in a discussion happening that those that have the connectivity are able to continue working remotely or able to do their public schooling remotely. Those that don't, can't and it's like being in 1990 and there's a huge divide that we need to think as a society how could we bridge that for everybody because if we could I think then all of this new stuff we're putting in place would have access to everybody I don't know what percentage it is but there's a large percentage of the country that doesn't have the access that we're enjoying right here and if we could bridge that and understand how to make this publicly available I think that'd be a huge step forward for any future issues like this but also the deployment of technology and getting all the benefits out of it
1: for everybody. And certainly if you expand that to the to global, I mean there's a there's an even larger percentage uh, you know globally that doesn't have access to that that sort of Exactly. Job. It's unfortunate that it takes those private companies to uh, to to make those thresholds, and we can't like as a as a society, as a as a government, as a as a planet, you know, kind of come together under you know a, a consistent set of let's say facts or, uh, or um, um, that, that these problems need to be solved um, but uh, yeah I guess we could t- we'll could we take what we can get
0: yeah it's <laughs> the right, so people that are going to make the difference not the government well Lee thank you very much for taking the time to join us this was phenomenal thank you for your insights and uh, again thank you very much for your service
2: thanks for having me it was a lot of fun
0: this has been great nothing lasts forever Markets will come back, currencies will rebound, businesses will go on, and we'll all move on. That could happen next week, next month, or next year. I'm confident that those who prepare rather than panic will come out of this stronger. Thank you for joining us. This has been brought to you by Nomad Futurist. Check us online at nomadfuturist.com.